there. My name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Before we get into the meat of this interview, I should first explain that due to circumstances, we've had to make this recording using a video camera instead of the usual equipment, which should go some way towards explaining the quality of the recording. So apologies for that. But as is the content that's important, we decided to press on anyway. Historically speaking, blue sharks are the fish which introduced most home water anglers to the concept of shark fishing. Certainly back in the 1960s when I was first getting the chance to head offshore in search of bigger fish. The same was also true of Graham Pollan who joins us here today. An acclaimed authority on catching sharks both in home waters and abroad. Now we've already talked before about blue sharks in the general context of shark fishing around the British coast, so I don't particularly want to recover all ground here. What I'd like to do is look at two specific trips fished with Wayne Condon from your own trail 17-foot Wilson flyer out from Falmouth, the first being last year which was 2012, and the second in the summer of this year, 2013. So why specifically go to Falmouth looking for blues when there are other shark-rich West Country locations much nearer and easier to trail to from Hampshire? Well, you ask why I should go to Falmouth, I mean they're really, well, as for me as a shark fisherman, it's a bit of a no-brainer. It's a bit like saying, where's the best shark fishing port on the south coast? And of course it was, it was Lou in Cornwall, that's purely for numbers, but Falmouth has got the added bonus, which is no question of that, of the possibility, the outside possibility of a mako shark. So, I mean, you need knowledge, as with all sort of fishing, so I, I needed to start somewhere, and although I fished it for many years out of St Anthony Bay, which is just round from the Halford River, and catching blue sharks on a family member's boat there, uh, we couldn't get out very far, it's what we call a bob boat, it's an old plain single-engine bob, 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 one of those, and so displacement, about 21 foot, I think it was a pilot, so we couldn't get very far. But what I did need was information, and there's only one man to talk to for shark information in Falmouth, and that's obviously Frank Vinnicombe, who is now, I think, in his 90th year, and up to about a year or 18 months ago was actually out, still commercially, can you believe that? Still commercially for mackerel, um, with with his boat Cornish Lass. And he's still down there, Cornish Lass is still down there, still moored up. Frank wasn't so well last winter, but he's still going. Wayne, the guy I fished with, he popped in to see him. And he's still riding on old Frank and um, a vital source of information as far as I'm concerned as to where the blues were. Frank's had something, I think it was 8,000 blue sharks. He had the last Mako shark uh, hooked up on his and his commercial long line on his like his hurdy-gurdy gear, if you like, just right by the manacles about three or four Aprils ago. The fish was about three, 350 pounds by all accounts and just smashed all his gear to pieces, which is hardly surprising. But it's nice to know they're still there. So after visiting Frank, he told us where to go. A general area was just heading out into Falmouth Bay. But the main principle is to drift over wrecks. You've got to drift over sort of bands of wrecks or find a group of wrecks and see if you can drift across the general area of those. Because there's less and less mackerel around nowadays. So there's less for the sharks to feed on. And the contention now is that are they actually changing from feeding on mackerel, natural resource, because they've been decimated by the Scottish trawlers, taking what, thousands of metric tons of them, basically, and have they started feeding on maybe pollock and, and wreckfish that live over the wrecks? Anyway, Frank told us where to go. It's very, very, well, it's not very deep, but the further offshore you go, the deeper it gets. But about 40 fathoms would be the depth there. Distance off, Frank did say, go at least 13 to 15 miles off. 
Now, years ago, you could catch blues seven miles, eight miles off, and doubtless you can still pick off the old single fish, maybe a couple of couple of fish in a day there. But it seems to me the further you go, the better. And Frank was of the same opinion. He said the further you can go, the better. Uh, of course, the benefit of fishing out there is you've also got the famous manacles area, which is, you know, where the makos just live there. They move around there, but there's no doubt that they did used to swim around there and feed across the uh, eastern edge of the manacles where it drops away and the manacles pointed 200 feet. So very deep, very close to those rocks there. And in fact, listeners might need to uh, realise that the manacles isn't actually out at sea. It's joined to the land. There's a load of rocks joined to the land there and not one to go through on a foggy night and rough seas. It's claimed a few uh, galleon-type ships years ago. And it's very, very good for conga. It can be very good. So the benefit of Falmouth, if it blows up, Obviously, you've got the conga fishing and the pollock fishing that you can fall back on, and you're literally only half a mile off the shore there. Plus, you can obviously nip back into Falmouth, St. Anthony, or the Helford River, wherever you want, if you did blow up. Well, we did go to where Frank said. I can't tell you how long it was. We've got a DVD out there called uh, The Ultimate Guide to Blue Shark Fishing, and that's what we went out there to make, just to um, DVD, go down in history, as we actually went out there and made a film of it ourselves, funded it all ourselves. Uh, myself and Mike, and I took Wayne Comban out, and says on his first Blue Shark trip, he's lucky, Wayne, I take him as a lucky mascot now. Um, he's certainly got the uh, the edge on getting big sharks, that's for sure. Um, as they all say, better have luck than skill any day. But Wayne was with me, and I can't tell you, it couldn't have been very long before we had the first Blue Shark up. And uh, Frank was right, indeed, lots and lots of fish. Before we look at the two days in question, which as we'll see, for very different reasons, are both standout trips, outline for us the basics of blue shark fishing in terms of the species being a midwater to surface feeder, most commonly found over around 40 fathoms of water. Yeah, basically for blue shark fishing, ideally they're a shallow water fish. I have caught them fishing 30 fathoms of water in 40 fathoms, and obviously the bait there is well outside the area of Rubby Dubby. The Rubby Dubby is not going to go down 30 fathoms. By the time it gets to 30 fathoms, you'll probably be 15 miles away from uh, where it first got put in the water. But I will say, what you can do if you want a fast sink chum or rubby-dubby is to mix sand with it, just regular sand, instead of bran. I mean, you can mix them both together, but obviously the sand particles, they're just coated in the oil of the fish. They don't actually soak it up like a piece of bran does, so they're non-absorbent, but they do take that smell down deeper, and I use it for pool because as well. Sometimes I'll take some sand and mix that in there as well. So basically you're suspending your different baits out, maybe three, four baits, different depths, different distances from the boat. The further back you go, the deeper you've got to put it, and the closer to the boat, well, a lot of my sharks come without even a, a float on it, just hanging off the side of the trace, just right by the rubby sack, by the old chum bag, and they come right up and take it there. So nothing really rocket science about shark fishing. You want a good steel trace, minimum, say, two to three hundred pound wire I use. Six to eight hundred pound, forty-nine strand, seven on seven stainless cable. So there's no way they're going to chew through that. Then I have a four-o barrel swivel, and then I have a rubbing leader of about two hundred fifty pound mono. Overall length about twelve feet. You're basically running your rod and reel out, and your bait out, uh, put the reel on ratchet. It might not always be if it's a rough day. There's a rock on the boat. You might not get free spool with a clicker with a ratchet on because the rise and fall of the boat will continually keep putting line up and it gets quite annoying. You know it's not a shark run, but of course it's just your bait's going further and further out of the slick. So you might want to put your reel, either star drag or lever drag, in light drag, just a light tension on it. Don't do it too tight because it's going to get whistled over the side and you don't want it too loose because if you get a backlash or a burst nest, same thing, the reel jams up, the rod and reel goes over the side. 
it's really best to make yourself a little dog lead clip and a lanyard about four feet and tie that rod and reel, tie, well, tie the lanyard to a railing or something and then clip it to the reel lug just for safety. Let's now look at what happened in the 2012 visit. Yeah, I mean, uh, where I come from is a 250-mile drive towing a boat, my 17-foot Wilson flyer. I see drift, I've got to tow it everywhere, but do you know what? I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Of course, I could leave it in a marina somewhere, and then I'm just stuck with some marina or boatyard. I'm, I'm stuck to fish that for the rest of my life, which I really wouldn't fancy. I get bored really easily, and I do like actually pioneering a bit and, and dragging the boat, which is a pain to tow. Anybody who's towed boats knows it's not exactly fun, but it's got to be done. And, you know, once you're there, obviously you forget all about that. Anyway, build-up to the trip, well, was there a build-up? There's always a build-up for shark fishing through the summer. The build-up's continually looking at the British weather charts, trying to find a nice high that comes in and allows the wind to drop and you can actually get out there. So I've been sorting all the chum out. I use uh, trout, a lot of mashed-up trout, and obviously leftover stuff from all my bait fishing sessions, as it were, uh, bits of squid, sandhill, mackerel, anything, pouting, whatever I can get gets chopped up. And you're just basically waiting for a minimum of, a, say, a three-day weather slot that you can actually get out with a 17-foot dinghy. We haven't got a charter boat. It's a small trailer or boat, but it's 17 foot. It's about the smallest practical size that you're going to go shark fishing in, although I have had them with another guy in 14-footer, so um, that's quite a small boat as well. Yeah, we had a lot of fog that day. I remember the day pretty well. We had fog. I was a bit nervous. I'm always a bag of nerves anyway. Like, it's a bag of nuts and bolts. Is it going to be a storm impending? Is there something coming on on the horizon I've been told about? So, uh, yeah, I suppose it's just personal safety. It obviously comes to the fore a bit, really. Not a bad thing in itself. But anyway, we ran through this fog. We had a lowest GPS. I think it's HDS 5 unit. Um, only a very small one, but of course it did allow us to work our way out between the boys inside Falmouth Bay. But of course it doesn't tell you what other boats there are to run into or indeed which other idiots are roaring around too fast and can run into me. But we did get out because once we got out past Anthony's lighthouse, about a mile out or so, it did clear, it did burn out. Classic for summer weather in Britain. It did allow us to get out a good sort of, I think with that day we were about 13, 14, 15 miles out. The first thing I did was because there was no wind, which is why that fog was about, I had to, well I don't have to, this is what I do. If you've got no wind, you've got no drift. So the, the chum, it, uh, yeah, the rubby dubby goes straight down to the bottom and you might get one shark, you might get two. But you need to cover ground, so I always generally pick a spring tide if I can, because that's traditionally the type of tide that gives you plenty of ground coverage, because there's a big body of water moving there. And, of course, the wind as well. So we don't want too much wind, but if I could pick something, maybe a force one, force two, just enough to get that boat all squared up, drifting along nicely. Once we're out there, as we stop the boat, I see which way... The actual slight drift is going, because bear in mind with no wind, the boat hardly moving at all. So I watch the chum going down through the, the particles going down through the water, and then I look at the compass, and I see which way we're going. We might go southeast, northwest, due west, due south, whatever. Whichever way we're going, I then, and here is a totally also fishing tip, I just start the engine up, bump the boat just slowly in gear, and then just motor in the opposite direction. So I'm basically extending that, for a good half mile, maybe sometimes three quarters of a mile, my sound average about 800 to 1,000 yards, and it might take me 15, 20 minutes, and as I'm going along, just keep that bag continually shaking, and it's a way of putting an advanced trail out there, if you can, to attract the sharks, and by doing that, it's never very long before you get one. And as a result, you finished up with a real dinghy trip to remember, with one particularly special fish. 
Yeah, we caught loads of sharks that day, no question. We got up into the double figures. Wayne had one about, I think it was about 120 pounds of blue. Don't bother with that weigh-in and the measure, uh, with the uh, weight for length measurements, because it's all totally out. They keep everybody happy, I suppose. I think they've got a, a fish of such and such, but there's no way on God's earth you're ever going to know what that fish weighs and actually bang it on the head and bring it in. Now, those days are gone, and I'm not prepared to do it, really. Uh, maybe if I've got a, a world record Mako, I find it probably difficult not to bring it in. But, you know, we've got now three different camera units on the boat set up, camera filming positions all on brackets there. There's nothing going to be swimming around my boat, including underwater, that I'm not going to see anyway. And at the end of the day, I know what I've caught. And the guy on my boat knows what we call. The cameras tell their own story. You don't have to kill the fish. So... We guess it about 120 pounds because years and years ago, I banged loads of fish on the head. I know what they weighed. I know I don't need weight for length. I've had seen loads of other people's fish hung up as well. Probably dozens and dozens and dozens of big marlin. So you do actually get a good idea of an eye to look at it and judge a fish by its weight. But the weight for length measurements, try it yourself if you want. Get different species. Get your girth measurements. Get your different length measurements. And then you work your little formulas out and then put it in a weight so you can weigh it. And you'll find it never weighs what they say it should weigh, but keeps everybody happy. I think what they should do is just have a total nose to tip of the tail measurement, and that's it. And you just catch a fish of 12 foot 6 inches or something like that, regardless of the weight. At least, you know, you've caught a nice big long fish to keep everybody happy. Now, having caught them on bait, they're not difficult to catch on bait, blue sharks. They're pretty easy to catch, to be honest. Just let them run for about 10, 15 seconds, wind down, take the stretch out of the line, and bang the hook in. Job done. It's not rocket science. But catching them on a fly, I'm not saying I'm a better angler by catching them on a fly, it's just something different. I mean, they do it all over the world. I've caught just small sharks on flies all over the world. and You know, you can do selfish. I've had tuna on uh, on fly rods, saltwater outfits, uh, tarpon, bonefish, barracuda, species that are going to pull an awful lot harder than the blue shark. But it's just a novelty way. But what I wanted to do was catch one on a trout rod. I've done it before. I'm not the first to do it. I doubt as other people have tried it as well. But what I did do, the very, very first trip, must have been at least 30 years ago, at least. And that was out with Crystal, the editor of uh, Trout Fisherman, as he was by then. And we went out and uh, went out in a boat off Portugal on the Algarve there, where there's lots of smallish sharks. And I actually went out with him and we did the shark on a fly story for the magazine. But what I did get there, and that's one of the few things I did get, I had a 60-pound maker hooked underneath the boat, and that was a smoker. So forget about catching blue sharks, guys, on a fly rod. They're just like great big blue dogfish. It's not difficult. Good bit of sport. But get a maker on a fly rod, whole different ball game. Of course, majority of people that go saltwater fly fishing will be using a saltwater class, 10, 11, or 12 weights, heavy, really, really heavy casting rods. They have a fighting grip, a high foregrip. Big centre drag reel, non-reversible handles, strong line. It's almost sort of pointless, I felt myself, using that type of gear because you might as well just use a regular pike spinning rod if you like. You're going to pull about the same pressure on it as you would a saltwater fly rod. So I wanted to catch one on a regulation reservoir trout fly rod, which people use that throw, say, you know, seven, eight, nine line, just a regular lightweight one, nine or ten foot, and you use it on British reservoirs, catching rainbows a pound and a half to three pounds. I had a regular salmon reel, a direct drive, so you had to watch your knuckles because the reel handle spins around. And then I had some flat back one for backing, and I had a length of 400 grain fly line, which you could barely cast. If you cast, you had to duck your head and wear a crash helmet if it came past. It was awful thing to cast, but of course it does get the fly down. 
Now, as to flies, well, yeah, I've been all through the fly tying because I used to do fly tying quite considerably through the winter months. Fortunately, Sid Knight ties flies for me now commercially and I can tie exactly what I want. I've tried all the different things. I've tried mackerel colours. I've tried red on white. i tried blues. i tried greens, silvers. i tried it all. And you know what they take best? Just a plain white swan feather. That's all they take. That's all you need. All the fancy flies in the world doesn't make any difference at all. In my experience, a nice white fly, bit of lead round it on the shank as under whipping, just to get it down and then spot your fish. Now, having said that, the best thing to do, if you really want to catch one, don't put any other baits out in the water. No baits in the water with hooks in because you're going to catch them and you need to see them near the boat if you're going to catch one on the fly boat. You've got to target that fish individually. Right, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to get a regulation shark rod, or indeed any rod, thread the line up, float on, balloon, whatever you want to use, set it about 10 feet deep, just the nylon, no steel trace, no hook, and just tie a fillet of mackerel on there, toss it over the side, run it back about 30, 40 yards. Now, when a shark comes along in your chum sling, he's going to smell that bait. He takes the bait, you get a shark run, obviously as you wind down, the fillet either pulls off, or he just snips through the last foot or so of the line. You then know there's a shark in the chum sling. Your partner will chum and chum and chum, shake in the bags or the buckets, whatever you use, whatever system you've got, tubes, to get plenty of chum in the water to pull it close to the boat. You then get a casting rod, a regulation, you know, casting rod, any, any, any rod could do that's a fixed ball, really. And you've got on that exactly the same setup. Straight through the rod rings is your nylon. When you come out the other end, just tie on a fillet of mackerel, even a whole mackerel if you want. Then when you see that shark in the sling, you cast out, and you can almost let it tease and take the bait, but don't let it bite on the bait, because obviously it might just eat that and swim away. Now, as you get it within casting range, your partner, who teases this shark close enough to get you in casting range with a fly rod, pulls that out of the way, and you replace it by a cast with a fly. Now, you can do it the other way. You can actually cast your fly out, let it sink in the water 10, 15, 20 yards back where you can see it, Start a slow retrieve, and then your partner casts out the, a piece of meat, piece of mackerel uh, fillet, and he teases it, he winds that mackerel fillet right past the feather. As the two coordinate and come together, he whips it out of the way, and they take the fly. And you see them take this, you see the jaws open, you see them grab the fly. After that, set the hook, but make sure you clear all the loose line around the deck, around your feet, because when they take off, they can do so pretty quickly. As for that being a particularly significant fish, the one that's on our DVD, absolutely not. No, no, I must have had 10 or 15 when I fished with Crystal, including that maker we lost over in the Algarve. I then went out and I did a full-on professional DVD with a company. I think the TV, I forget what happened to it, I don't think it ever got screened, to be honest. But that was a full program, and that was showed you explicitly how to set up, how to rig up. So I've done it several times, I also did it in Britain as well, down in the Silly Isles. So it wasn't new, it's just a different way of fishing. Because you can catch 10, 15, 20, 30 blue sharks, one after the other, after the other, after that. You put your bait back, hook it up, wind it in. You want to spice yourself up a bit. Either, you know, use a lighter tackle, not line, not light line, but lighter rod and reel outfit, maybe a fixed ball one. Just try something different. And obviously, I get bored quickly, as I said. I don't want to catch 25 sharks one after the other. What's the point in doing all that? They all fight pretty much the same. And it's not like you're going to put a bait out and get a 300 pounder off the British waters. The blues, your average probably... 40, 50 pounds, I suppose, something like that. 100 pound I can still consider to be a good fish. And 100 pound is definitely takeable on a regular trout rod, providing you've got about 200 yards of backing. The one drawback is they do roll up the line. 
you will need a short 12 inch wire trace a little bit of rubbing lever about 100 pounds i use 100 pound andy premium so if the shark rolls and twists up the line which invariably do the blues and renowned for it then you've got a chance of getting that fish to the boat the last i would say three years i'm doing this in uh, october 2013 the last three years have been really really good for blue shark and obviously the pool beavers are still there which are much much harder finding species I don't know whether it's the rising sea temperature. I don't know whether it's the, the lack of mackerel that have been absolutely crucified by the commercial trawlers. I don't know the persainers. I don't know whether that's the reason there are so many sharks. I can't really say that I've noticed them to be thinner, really, a lack of food. But I tell you what, I've 100%, they are more aggressive than I've ever known them. We had them coming up to the boat this year, 2013, got a film on YouTube, and that one has underwater shots of the blue shark biting the boat, which a lot of people say, oh, it's just story time by Graham. No, no, this time we've got the underwater camera, and you can't get away from it. A blue shark comes up, and it absolutely bites the propeller. We must have had this oh, a dozen times happen to us through the day, um, you know, when we were making this film, and just by pure luck, the underwater camera is in the right place at the right time, so people will have to apologise to me later if they say I made it up, because no, you can physically see blue shark clamping his jaws on my propeller. It's looking good for the future, I have to say, you know, not for the numbers of bait fish there, but for the point of view of the anglers going out and having a good chance of catching a blue shark, I don't think there's been a better time to go fishing for them. There's a lot of people doing it now, and do you know what? It's not just charter boats, it's the small boat anglers that we're continually getting hits on our emails saying, you know, can we have information on sharks? I mean, that's basically why we made that DVD, so people can get the information. Frank Vinicom is in it. Jack Bray, famous tackle dealer down in Lou. Won't get any more famous than Lou, really, for blue sharks. Uh, he's in it with comments as well, so it's very, very interesting DVD. Historical significance, I feel, there. Plus, plenty of action for myself and Wayne, but this last year, we did even better. We went out for a day, again, pretty flat, calm day. Didn't bother with a fly rod. Just doing regular fishing, trying to get uh, a, a nice film put together for guys to teach them bits and pieces on tips, really. Tips is what we're trying to teach people. On the blue sharks, and uh, 17 sharks got 16. We could have kept going, and it was unbelievable. And we believe that is a record for a small dinghy 17-footer. Now, maybe somebody's caught more. If not, they've got our record to beat. We shall be out there next year, and we shall try and beat that record. And when you do get a fish, obviously it's not a great big charter boat, little dinghy, you put the whole thing together yourself, you've driven down, you've got all your kit together, you've launched a boat, you've driven it out, you've chosen your mark, you've set your chum slit, you wire the fish up yourself, you photograph it, you dart tag it, you bring it in, you let it, you do everything yourself. No more satisfaction than taking your own small boat out and doing it. And obviously, with the Wilson Flyer and the Slow Freeboard, you are absolutely face-to-face -face with those sharks. This last year, I actually got hold of one. There was three swimming live, about 70-pounder, and unfortunately, Wayne couldn't get the camera up quick enough. Had it by the tail, flashing around for about a minute or so. Quite fun, but uh, not to be recommended in case it do whiz around and bite the fingers off. And then, of course, again, with my lucky mascot, Wayne, we'd already had the big bull weagle shark, a huge shark um, down off the uh, North Cornish coast down there. That was uh, sort of five to 550. And incidentally, literally, October 2013, we just had an email from another guy that had one down there as well, and it was weighed on the dock, and I think it was kept quiet, and that one weighed 485 pounds. So there's a little bit of a taster for you that I don't think anybody knows about. So there's big fish down there, believe me. Now, we did, after having catched that one, 
want to try for Thresher, and I have had a small Thresher off the Isle of Wight, and I've called Threshers before in, uh, out in the Pacific as well, the Pacific Big Eye Thresher, and uh, Wayne was already well into sharp mode, and had several trips out there driving the Threshers, and I went down, I bought his boat, Taryn, and Wayne's got exactly the same, a 70-foot Wilson flyer, same as mine, probably cleaner than mine, that's the difference, a lot, lot cleaner. And we went out back at the Isle of Wight, again, cameras with us, and Wayne hooks up, I mean a monster thresher shark, a very, very big fish. By pure luck, skill, and uh, everything else, we managed to get the fish right up to the boat. It was like a four-mile fight, it told us. What can I say? So it's, it's sort of a, a bit of a blur, really. Even Wayne said, did we really do that, you know? And it was something else, and I'm the one that was getting hold of the wire about three times hauling it out, so trust me, I know exactly how big it was, and I had all this door so I could touch it. It was quite something. Um, that thresher was, uh, well, every bit of 500 pounds, it was an absolute monster. But thank God we got all the footage, we got the cameras, and after that, well, I suppose I've gone a bit off the rails. I want to catch a six gill. Now, I've had them before abroad, but there's a spot off the back of the Isle of Wight. It's very, very deep there. And what happened is, a few years back, not many years ago, I think about three years ago, a guy caught a six gill shark out by the Nab Tower. I've got a feeling it was only about 15 pounds. Now, to me, that's a pup. Now, I think mum's not going to be far away. I don't think a small fish like that has swum all the way out from Madeira or somewhere like that where they're sort of known as a six-gill area. I think that a big female has been out in this deep hole because they do like deep holes, deep drop-offs, and probably there's several out there. And what we did, come up with a theory of fishing this deep hole, I made a grapnel, anchor weight, a load of polyprop rope, a five-gallon plastic oil drum, sealed it all up with PTFE tape so it couldn't leak, we put a bag on the top and we put a bag on the grapnel. Now we dropped it down at the back of the Isle of Wight and we were going to come back the next day and anchor up on it. Well, we came back the next day with the exact GPS coordinates and it ain't there. So no, we don't know whether the commercials just pulled it up and pinched the rope and the anchor and the, and, and the five gallon oil drum. Or what I didn't think is these sharks are so big, they probably average 600 pounds to 1,000 pounds. If he eats that bag on the bottom, Although I have tied to the ground, he's just going to pick it up, anchor and everything, and swim off with it. So we think there was an outside chance, it could have been a big seaskill during the night, that's come into this hole, picked the entire chum bag up, and the anchor, and swam off probably eating a lot. So if anybody does catch a seaskill, it's got a grapnel anchor, a five-gallon oil drum, and about 250 feet of my blue polyprop, you'll know that that was where we were. So apart from another attempt at the six gills, what in your opinion is new or can we expect on the UK shark fishing scene in the very near future? There's quite a lot changing really on the British sharking scene. Why was this changing? There's a new generation of people coming in and think they know, you know, oh, this is all new, it's all new and exciting. And to them, I guess it is, but to me, it's just the same old thing I've been doing for the last 45 years. But there is an outside chance of something different, i.e., Look at Wayne's huge thresher shark, and there have been other big sharks off there as well caught. A lot of guys don't report them, but they are being caught off there. Paul Beagles, first I've heard of that 485 pounder. So there's other people that uh, have had big sharks down there as well. It's not just us, and we're just doing it in a tiny dinghy. That's probably what uh, the publicity angle that people seem to like, two men in a boat type of story. But the other thing is, two Mako sharks in 2013. There's one off the coast of Wales and a nice fish off Ireland. Now, that doesn't surprise me off the south coast of Ireland, because some years back, there was an alleged 90-pounder call. Now, that would have been the first one for about 37 years. So, the Welsh fish was not the first make call. There was a 90-pounder call out of Cork about, I guess it was probably about 10 or 12 years ago. 
And of course, a lot of people say it was a poor regard. I personally did believe that was a Mako, because you can't really mistake a Mako, and I've had 20-odd of them. It's, if you got in here the boat, you know what it looks like. It's not a poor being. It is a Mako. But with Tuchel, one off the Welsh coast, one off Southern Ireland, again, you know, you can't help but think, are they coming back? The only thing that bothers me, they're very small fish. The average for the Falmouth and the South Coast Cornish Makos was probably over 350 pounds. Somewhere between 350, 370, 380. So fish of under 200, say 150 pounds, 90 to 160, that, you know, they're quite small fish. They'd probably generally be male fish. And the big ones, always, you find in most fishing, not just shark fishing, are females. So the chance of breaking it probably is a bit remote, but I still go back to Falmouth. That's where they were caught historically years ago, and I still think that's where one's going to be caught. And I'll tell you what, I hope it's aboard our dinghy, and I hope our dinghy's still floating when we get in the boat. Of course, you've got the exotics now coming in because there's been bluefin tuna caught off Ireland, bluefin tuna caught now up in, in Scotland. I think they're commercial ones, although they can't... Um, sell them, which is not a bad thing, otherwise they'd be decimated. Once money raises its head, they'd be, they'd be uh, on the uh, fishmonger's slab. Well, they're still on the fishmonger's slab, but uh, they have to, I believe, have to be uh, for your own consumption. You can't trade in them, which is good. But there's also uh, small tuners being speared down off the coast of, I think it's Dorset, and while out on the last one, 2013 trip to Falmouth, 100% Wayne and I saw a load of mackerel coming out, jumping right in that slit, being chased by something, and uh, two or three barracudas were behind them, so there you go, there are barracuda as well. So there you have a sort of insight into uh, what's been happening on the big fish scene and the blue shark fishing scene. Definitely, if you're new to shark fishing, there's never been a better time to go blue shark fishing. Now, whether you do have to go a long way offshore, i.e. say 15 plus miles offshore, I wouldn't like to say. But on one of the days with Wayne at Falmouth, we drifted in really close, just off Coverack. I don't suppose we were a mile offshore with that, but we have still had around 200 feet of water there, and we got three blues that day. So there you go. The blues are very, very close off the Lizard Peninsula of Southern Cornwall, off the coast of Falmouth. They will come in close, but you've got to have the proximity of deep water to the land. What else is going to come this year? I honestly don't know. I hopefully will be out looking for the big spring pool beagles, because I really am only interested in pool beagles over 300 pounds now. Once you have a proper pool beagle, uh, they're big fish, they generally, the spring fish average, uh, well, 300 plus. Very, very good chance of catching one of those. Right place, right time, but same old story, you need the right weather. And with a dinghy, north coast of Cornwall, not the best place, is it? Not the best place. It's dodgy down there, but my goodness me, there's some big old lumps swimming around. And then I think later in the year, early summertime, I should be looking for the big threshers with Wayne, maybe over uh, off the Isle of Wight. But just as a closing comment, a little taste, a little teaser. I just literally got back four days ago from fishing in uh, Southern Ireland and was fishing off a quayside there where a commercial boat was unloading a 100 tonnes of boarfish. And they were sucking them out by a tube. They'd pour water into the hold of the trawler to float the fish and then they can vacuum them all out. They vacuum them straight into a giant, giant, huge trailer unit. Obviously, the water and the boarfish go in there, but they have to drain off that water. They can't drive with the water because it's sloosh around and they go off the road. So they open vents at the bottom of the of the lorry and all the rubbish and the excess water, scales, blood, guts, all streams out the bottom of the lorry at the back and goes into, yes, the water. Well, I hooked a fish off this dock. I'm telling you, I'm 90% sure it was a giant six-gill shark because they will come in close. 
In certain countries, they will come in, feed on the offal and the scraps being tossed in by commercials. It has to be deep water. But over on this bare peninsula, they've got water 100 feet off the rocks that you can cast into. So the potential is there. The chum, if you like, is going in there via the trawlers. And the other place I think there's a good chance to get something really outlandish from the shore, somebody could fish up there, is Killybags. Again, a commercial area for trawlers, people unloading vast quantities of fish for the commercial industry, all that smell going in the water, but do take big tackle, strong line, 50 pound line, shark trace, rubbing leader, fighting harness, 80 pound stand up sticks, because that fish I had was totally unstoppable and the line exploded like a pistol shot. I've never experienced anything like it in shark fishing, well, outside of the tropics, put it like that. So that's it. That's the shark fishing done. I look forward to getting through the winter. I hate the winter. There are no sharks. I love April, May, because I know there's a big pool wiggle down there, about £600, and hopefully it's got my name on it. Well, you wouldn't bet against it. So once again, thanks for taking the time to talk the prospects through with us here. 